Hi, everyone. Welcome to Stem From's podcast, Where Does Your Journey Stem From?, hosted by myself, Dr. Karina Minardi. Today, we are joined by a real special guest, Christy, who is currently a trustworthy AI specialist with SAS Data Ethics Practice, also known as DEP. I am so ecstatic to welcome to the stage, Christy. Hey, Christy. Hey, Karina. Good to see you. Good to see you as well, and thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. So Christy Boyd is the trustworthy AI specialist with SAS's data ethics practice. With experience across product management, quality assurance, and academic research, she has cultivated a unique multidisciplinary perspective on emerging technologies such as AI. She holds degrees in international business from Azusa Pacific University and technology ethics and policy from Duke University. With a blend of technical and ethical expertise, Christie's mission is to understand emerging technologies like AI, assess them in the context of culture, and translate the findings to actionable recommendations to fuel and push the boundaries of responsible innovation in ways that promote human well-being, agency, and equity. Her multifaceted experience allows her to guide stakeholders in realizing that potential. Specifically, I had the pleasure of working with Christy during her career in a variety of means, and I'm just so ecstatic to have her again on this podcast. So Christy, let's jump right in um, and let's uh, explore sort of your background and your your personal background, your career background, um, and give us a little bit of a glimpse as to the world of Christy. Sure. So the very concise version, I guess, but I have always kind of stuck in the middle a little bit, uh, meaning I was born in Texas, actually grew up in Moscow, Russia until I was 17. And then I moved to California uh, for my undergraduate experience. So I got from the get go a little bit of that dual experience of American versus Russian culture, East versus West, uh, and getting a sense of how do those two converge and conflict in a lot of different ways and how do you navigate the two. Um, undergrad, I studied international business. I actually really wanted to be in the luxury fashion industry. I did my undergraduate thesis. I don't know if you know this. I did my undergraduate thesis on luxury fashion and the ethics of luxury retail. Um, I'm intrigued and I love this. Please say more. Oh, well, I was fascinated by, so I grew up in a big city and I was fascinated by all the artistic aspects of, you know, high fashion, all of the creativity of high fashion. But then I also had a underlying you know, interest in the ethicality of the consumption of it and the consumerism of it and the sustainability of it. And so when I was doing my initial thesis, I really was interested in that intersection. How do we think about and conceptualize the creativity and the artistry of high fashion with the consumerism and what it actually promotes within itself? So that was my undergraduate. And I was convinced that I was going to be a you know, merchandiser or uh, fashion merchandising retail something, working for LVMH or one of the big houses um, on the back end of things. During college, I needed to make money. So I was working in IT support. Very different, two different worlds. Um, but I got a job in the student support center and the IT center. Uh, was working the call center first then doing some actual repair, like software repair on student laptops, etc. When I graduated, there wasn't a lot of retail or like fashion jobs that paid and I had student loans. So I had a alumni connect me to a, a company that was hiring at the time. They were hiring for QA 
engineers or QA analysts, so software testing. I knew nothing about it except where I had worked in, you know, IT support for three, two years, three years, something like that. And so I decided, you know what? I need money. Fashion can wait. I got bills to pay. <laughs> so <laughs> I got I got um, hired into the QA role, knew very little during it. Um, very grateful for my manager that hired me. Um, kid you not, this was part of our conversation. During the interview, he asks me, all right, what do you know about SQL? I was like, never heard of it. Don't know what that is. <laughs> and he's like, are you sure that's the answer you want to give? Well, I'm like, well, it's probably not the best answer, but that's the honest one. I don't know what this is. Um, he ended up hiring me, maybe against his best judgment. I don't know. But I spent the next six to eight months learning about technology more than what I knew and learning about like software development and what is the software development lifecycle look like? How do you test things? What is SQL? What's Python? Um, all of those fun things. So that's kind of my background. Did engineering for a little bit, pivoted to product management, loved it for about five, six years or so, and then ended up transitioning over into AI ethics. Um, got my master's degree in technology ethics, and now we're here. So I see a central theme of obviously ethics, right? Mm -hmm. Ethics behind consumerism, ethics behind luxury brands. Um, quality assurance is a huge ethical process. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about what, what in your background actually lends itself to that proclivity? So I think part of it is because having grown up in Russia and having been born in the U.S. and having experience in both, I could see very clearly how something that was good for one country was negatively impacting people in another country. Um, I could see how, you know, sanctions against Russia were impacting the people in Russia. I could see how certain activities were impacting other folks. And so I think I just kind of noticed that tension early on, um, you know, Soviet Union, I was born right after the fall of the Soviet Union. So I saw some of that tension um, just living in the country. And I think that led me to be intrigued by those things. I also grew up in kind of the Christian context in a very orthodox society as well. So there's a lot of existential conversations about the meaning of life and the purpose of it all. And, uh, you know, the almighty nature, et cetera. Russia is an orthodox country. So there's some of that embedded into my education from the get-go. And I think that's just, has been a theme that I can't escape. So it didn't matter what role I was doing, didn't matter what I was studying. I was also, I was always wondering about the why, but who's getting impacted, but who are we considering? Who's benefiting from this? Um, what are the gaps? I was also kind of the annoying child always that asked, but why, but why, but why? So I think I've just found a more like elegant way as an adult to keep asking that question in a hopefully less annoying manner. I was going to say, that's usually the four-year-olds that continuously say why, and then they get sick of actually getting stupid answers. And then you just continued on with it. This is fabulous. I'm basically um, four-year-old is what you're saying. And that's true. <laughs> a glorious one that is has multiple degrees, one of which is from Duke University. I mean, can you say more? Mm -hmm. Um so what drives you as a person? I mean, we've talked a little bit about the ethics piece. We've talked a little bit about your personal background with coming from Russia. Um, I mean, your your personal drive. Mm -hmm. I am very inquisitive. I want to understand things better. I want to know things better. Um, I'm also very much a people person, meaning that I like to get to know what's going on with people. I like to, I mean, you and I spend a lot of time chit-chatting about life and getting to know each other too. So that's something I really love doing and I love understanding what drives people, how people work. And so I think combining the two together, when I started working more with technology, um, I started understanding how 
everybody has some creativity in them. Everybody has something very unique to them. And I wanted to see how you can pull that out. Like I'm always very intrigued as to how do you bring out the best out of folks? How do you, um, how do we all encourage each other to do our creative, our best, our most excited? Um, I think I'm not cynical enough yet to, to think that people have to hate work. I think you can have careers and jobs that you genuinely enjoy doing and you love doing. Um, so I think that's a big factor of it too, is I'm just, I'm excited about life. I like life and I like, I like seeing when other people are the same way. And I also like, we've talked about this. I'm technical. I'm not sciencey. I love it when people are sciencey. It's so cool when people can talk about the molecules and the mitochondria and all that junk and like know it and love it. It's so exciting to me. It's so like inspiring and contagious. You're welcome. Um, and <laughs> how many times no, have you been embarrassed by my very little knowledge of science? <laughs> uh, anyway, proceeding on to our next question. <laughs> um, I I actually, in all transparency with our listeners, I do want to be honest and transparent with them in that Christy actually was, um, she had an internship with me while at an organization that we, we both were at for a little bit over a summer during her graduate school. Um, and I can totally appreciate the amalgamation of her inquisitiveness in addition to being a people person. She would come back to me on our 101s and she would say, oh, I met with this person and I met with this person and I met with this person and I went, good for you. What'd you learn? And I really didn't mind. I was like, go, you have their emails, go talk to them, um, learn. Um, and I know some managers don't necessarily operate in that fashion, but um, that is, a, a, I think, a trait that I, I valued in you and our interactions particularly. I feel like the fact that you encourage that too, um, it's a great way to learn what you do like, what you don't like and learn more, right? So I didn't, there was a lot of that I didn't know about the company, I didn't know about the industry necessarily. And so having those conversations helps figure out what you're interested in, what you're not interested in. So if there's listeners or anybody who's trying to figure out what am I passionate about or how do I pivot, go talk to folks, find the people who are doing things that you might be interested in and see what they say. Or even better, listen to our other podcast episodes because exactly. that's exactly my focus and my mission. So this is wonderful. So you're doing the work for the, yeah, you're doing the work for them of finding the folks to talk to and listen to. I try, I try um, every day. Um, so, so how did you get actually introduced to AI and um, sort of that? I mean, you you obviously went through ethics, and I understand that. But how did you get introduced to AI? Was that part of your product management? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so when I was working in a product role, I was working for an HR technology company, and we did a lot of different things. Um, it's a great company. I want to say I loved all the folks I got to work with. Um, one of the things that we got to do is work on the recruiting and the learning uh, flows for organizations. So everything from how do you identify the best candidate, how do you interview the candidate, how do you scan the resume, process the resume, et cetera, et cetera, making, given the offer letter to the onboarding experience, to maintaining their skill sets, to the promotion experience too. So how do you identify what are the skills gaps that somebody has um, within their skill set, resume, et cetera? How do they close those gaps and how do they get promoted for the next opportunity? So that performance management. Um, so I spend most of my time on the learning side of things. I did a little, a couple of years, I think a year maybe or two on the recruiting side of things as well. And so 
just through that, I was exposed to a number of different projects that were using AI and integrating AI into the process. And something that really stood out to me is that we were you know, talking about using AI for identifying skills and identifying the best candidates for a position or a job opportunity. And it really stood out to me that this is real people. So when we're talking about is candidate A versus candidate B the better candidate and how do you, you know, scale their skills, skills, taxonomies, all that kind of stuff, it really stood out to me that we're talking about real folks and real people who are either going to get an opportunity or not going to get an opportunity. And while everybody was doing a really, you know, we're being very intentional about how do we build this good technology, it felt like there was a little bit of a gap of intentionality behind the ethics of how we actually build that tech. Right around the time when companies like HireVue started getting more and more um, publicity, both beneficial and negative publicity around discriminatory hiring practices, discriminatory video interview technology, et cetera. And so it just stood out to me more and more. And I kept seeing this pattern occur over and over of not enough intentional, deep conversations and considerations of the ethics of how we build products. So that was about a year um, or so, maybe a year and a half of slowly like sitting in the back of my brain and saying, hey, you should you should learn more. You should do something. Maybe you should be involved. Then I started looking at different schools, different programs. You know, I, I realized kind of had an oh shit moment in one meeting where I was like, crap, I'm supposed to make a decision. I don't feel qualified to make this decision. Can I get a degree? So I started looking at programs, um, found a couple ones, ended up applying to the Duke one, got in. No, that's, a, that's I think, a great um, way and a segue into your introduction. It's also um, for me to bring it back to sort of our theme um, about where does your journey stem from is what are those skills that are translatable from degree to actualization? Um, mm -hmm. In particular to those, you know, for, for those of us who have STEM backgrounds, um, the, the skill sets that are developed with you when you are a student are highly useful, but may not necessarily be easily translatable on a resume. Um, mm -hmm. I get this all the time. It's like, okay, well, you have a PhD. Well, how, how can you actually help me? Well, I can problem solve like no one else. Um, and I can bring, and I can think out of the box solutions be, and be highly resourceful because I've had to be for years. Um, but that is not something that an AI algorithm will necessarily pick up, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you actually stole part of what I was going to say, problem solving. Um, I I know it's always the answer, but when I'll give you an example. So for my out of college job, the one, the QA engineer job, software tester job that I got hired for realistically without having the proper qualifications. Part of the reason I got hired, I asked my manager later, said, hey, explain this to me. Even though I didn't know the technology, I didn't know the actual like specific things I was supposed to know for software testing, I had the right framework. Um, they asked me, you know, you, you have a phone, your phone's not working. Talk me through how'd you, how'd you figure out what's wrong? And so I just had to vocalize that problem solving skill set. Well, it's not working. I would expect it to do this, this, and this, and this. It's not doing this and this. Let's test this and this and that. So vocalizing through that problem solving and being able to kind of think on the spot and talk through it, um, that's a big one. Um, I will say when it comes to resume specifically, so that was my master's project is looking at how AI is used within the different recruiting processes. Um, if you're just very tactical, practical piece of advice, 
if you listener are applying for jobs, looking to apply for jobs, looking to make a pivot, one of the best things to keep in mind is the first scan of your resume is usually typically most commonly done by an AI tool or by a resume scanner tool, which is going to go and look at resumes, job description, and compare how much matching there is. So do the words that are written in the job description appear in your resume. So just a very specific example, if you're applying for jobs, make sure that you customize your resume to the job you're applying for, pull out as much of the wording from the job description as you can, put it in your resume, you're more likely to advance to the next level. Um, and that's kind of a way not to game the system, but to play within the rules of the system that's developed. Soft skills are harder to identify in a resume, right? Um, soft skills, you can write out your technical skills. You can be very specific. In my experience, a lot of times it's the soft skills that end up really landing you the job. You know, you need to need you need to know the basics, but it's easier to teach somebody again SQL in my experience than it is to teach somebody to have a conversation. Well, I think you're you're hitting on a point uh, which I'm actually kind of a little curious about because I tend to think about it in the opposite way of that. Okay, if you're actually in a STEM field, how do you translate that into a non-STEM field or into a corporate mm -hmm. structure or a business structure? You're actually flipping the script on me because you're saying, okay, if you have the right framework to think about things, you can apply that then to technology, which is actually exactly what you did. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious about that. That, so that's funny to me because at least from my perspective, and again, I studied business. I didn't have a technical degree. It, to me, it's easier to go from a technical field to a non-technical field because the technical stuff is the stuff that people get more scared of. Um, and folks tend to think, well, I need to know how to code. I need to know how to do this. However, the thinking that you develop, like you said, you studied for multiple years, PhD you've developed a very specific approach to thinking that you can then take kind of have to, you have to abstract it a little bit more and move it over to the non-technical fields. The biggest challenge I see, I have a number of um, colleagues and ex-colleagues who have technical backgrounds that I've now switched over to the lesser technical fields. The biggest challenge they face is the, with the ambiguity. Cause I feel like some of the technical fields are more specific and you're laughing. So I, I want to hear what you're laughing, what you're thinking is. Um, that is my answer a lot of uh, interview questions is mm -hmm. I, I am trained to think in black and white. Things mm -hmm. are right or they're wrong. They're zero or ones. They are quantitative value. There is no qualitative value in science. Um, there are numerical ranges or quantitative ranges, but when you think about it, there isn't a qualitative answer. And when you think about actually getting into the gray, which is exactly the ambiguity that you're addressing, um, that is, it's hard. It is a challenge to think about it in that way. It is. And it, that's what I'm spending my days in right now, right? So I'm a trustworthy AI specialist. My role is helping make sure that wherever our software shows up, we're not harming people, we're helping people. And that's a really big statement, right? That can be very difficult. And part of the challenge is we can all talk about, like, conceptually agree on that we want to do good, that we want to not harm people, that we want to make sure we're helping people, that we want to do it in an ethical, responsible manner. But those are kind of gray areas, or not gray, but ambiguous statements until you start qualifying them. So it's trying to put the numbers to them, put the quantitative, what does this mean? What does it mean to be ethical? What does it mean to be transparent? What does it mean to be accountable, responsible, you name it? Um, so I think that's that's a challenge in any field. I think in the AI world, and I'm biased here, 
I think it's coming up more and more. So people are getting more an appreciation in the tech world that black and white works, but there's always gray and we need to figure out how to handle the gray. No, handling it is, is precisely that. Um, and I'm curious now that you, you graduated from Duke, you're now mm -hmm. in a career, um, in a position that you've had for quite some time now. And, um, you know, is this sort of your end career goal or are you still thinking about what's next on the horizon? That's a funny question. Um, yes to both. And here's what I mean by that. I like to plan to an extent. Um, I am a type A personality. I like to think about things. I like to plan things in advance, but I'm also a big believer that structure must submit to spirit, meaning I can create the best plan of my life. I can have a whole vision, but as I go throughout life, I don't want to be rigid. I want to make sure that I'm creating room forever, you know, the spirit, the creativity I move to. So for example, I had a plan for my life when I was in high school. It did not involve living in the U.S., going to Duke or anything like that. I can guarantee you that. Um, but here we are. And I wouldn't have it any other way. So I think this role is a role that I've been looking for for a long time. I left the career that I had. I went to grad school because I wanted to help people innovate in a responsible manner. Very happy doing what I'm doing right now. At the same time, I, I feel like if you're not being creative, if you're not like thinking about new things, thinking about the future, I would feel stuck. And so I'm always thinking about, well, what's next? What's the dream? What's the, you know, giving my full heart now to what I'm doing, but also thinking about 20 years from now, 30 years from now, where's this going to go? I don't know. Could go either way. Um, but I think asking those questions helps me make sure that I don't miss the opportunities, whether here or there or wherever else. Because I'm guessing, do you do the same thing too? Do you kind of plan and then pivot at some point? I mean, 20 to 30 years is a long time. Um, so no, no. Uh, I am type A around what vacations and planning around vacations and where to go while mm -hmm. you're actually in a, in a vicinity. Um, but I don't know. I am, I'm not that rigid. Um, I probably should be. Nah, well, rigid, I feel like rigid has a bad undertone to it. I plan, but I plan so I can adapt in the future. It's the preparation okay. that makes me ready for what's to come, even if I don't know what's to come yet. I see you. I see you. You know the people who train for like um, American Ninja Warrior? They don't know what the course is going to be necessarily, but they're going to do the exercises. Okay, that's a little too physical for me, um, <laughs> but I understand the analogy. So this is this is good. Okay. Jeopardy. Folks who go want to go on Jeopardy. So then... So just answer me this then, what, mm -hmm. well, if you want to go on Jeopardy, you just read Wikipedia every day. I mean, there's that. And that's right. medical training, right? But anyway. you don't know what you're going to need exactly. Yeah. You don't know if it's going to be, you know, 16th century German literature or it's going to be, Buddhism. you know, stem cell. Mm -hmm. um, and I just always are crossing my fingers that it's stem cell because hello. Um, so what, what was the ideal job that you wanted after Duke? I mean, are you, are you legitimately like in it? Loki? Yes. Um, I have joked to my manager that I think this job was creative for me. It wasn't full disclosure. It was not, um, it was, you know, published and it had nothing to do with me. I found out about it. I was really excited about it, but 
low-key yes very much so i also had a little bit of a privilege in the sense of i was the first to throw the ai specialist to the team and there was some flexibility to help curate what that role would look like so the job itself posted was pretty dang perfect and then i also had the opportunity to help ideate on what would be beneficial for the company but also what would align with some of my interests and some of my goals as well that's that's great i mean um you're very lucky in that respect. And I don't mean that as sarcasm. I, I mean that as, you know, there's, um, I've been interviewing a lot of graduate students and many of them have actually talked about um, two things. One is embracing randomness, um, which I think align well with this, but also is that if you see an opportunity, take it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's very similar to the situation. 100%. Um- Again, I worked in HR technology, so a lot of random statistics. But on average, women tend to wait uh, until they mate. I think it's 100% of the job description criteria when they, until they apply. So women are less likely to statistically, you know, exaggerations, stereotyping a little bit, but just statistically, women are less likely to apply for a job unless they think they meet 100% of the criteria. That's not necessary. That's very rarely necessary. I mean... I think we've both put together job descriptions. A lot of those items are aspirational, not expectations. So very much embrace the randomness. Be open for the opportunities. Don't get scared to raise your hand. The worst thing they're going to do is say no or not pick you. So especially when it comes to applying for jobs out of college, out of grad school, give it a shot because you don't know what the person on the other end is waiting for or looking for. They might not know either, actually. They might just have a job description, but be really overwhelmed and impressed by you. So I think it's safe to say then that reflecting on your educational background that you wouldn't have changed a thing. Um, Mm. However, if you actually surpassed the educational background, would you have changed a little bit of your career path? Not necessarily a big change. Um, I think I stuck in engineering longer than I maybe should have. I knew fairly quickly that I didn't like writing code, but I wanted to stick with it because it was a good job. It was a good career path, you know everybody was saying being an engineer is what you want to do. This is where you make the money. This is the job. I hated it. I loved my team, but I did not get any joy in writing code. Um, And so I think I stuck in that a little bit longer than maybe I should have. Um, I was, I had an opportunity later to switch to product and I'm so glad that I did. That would probably be the bigger one is I, or the one item I would call out is I stuck in something that was comfortable, not something that was exciting or exhilarating to me. Maybe I've, I wish I would have had more of the guts to switch over faster than I did. It also kind of worked out. So that's a big one. The one thing I will say, if I can give unsolicited advice, I'm curious if you'd agree. I always recommend people wait if they can between getting degrees. Folks that go from a degree to a degree to a degree without getting any like work experience, job experience. I feel like that could set somebody up for failure if they're not very crystal clear on what they want to do. If they are changing fields, I will qualify that answer because I think if you have a science degree and mm-hmm. you're going into more science and that's really your end all be all is you want to do research. I don't Absolutely. think actually getting lab experience or working in a business or in a biotech organization will necessarily give you any um, skills um, to then be applicable to a graduate lab. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I could see some arguments to the contrary. Um, but I think if you are pivoting, yes, 
Absolutely. Um, and I, I did that in particular as I pivoted when I went, when I, after I graduated my PhD to my MPH, is I actually did an internship with a health system, which gave me some real world um, experience in understanding how it is to actually live and breathe and work in a healthcare system. Because um, mm-hmm. I never, I didn't, I did not have that. Um, and that's when I was like, I like this. I like being around patients. Um, I like this work. Yeah, a good caveat though, good clarification. I, and I should agree that, for example, my husband went from undergrad to grad right away. But he was studying social work. He knew he wanted to be a counselor, a therapist, et cetera. That was the career path. He knew what he wanted to do. It made sense for him to do. I graduated without a specific vision necessarily, a lot of ideas, but without a vision. So it would have been bad if, if you're in my position, if you're in a similar situation, it could be worth just dipping your toe in in a professional context before committing to a full, you know, tuition. Yeah. And it's beyond just the real world experiences that you could give. It's also the people that you meet. I mm. mean, because the, the doors that are necessarily open for an educational pathway could be expanded exponentially if you do have a network behind you. Um, and that's only given when you do actually work for an organization, frankly. Absolutely. I feel like the network should be the people matter. That's the underlying message of this entire you know 30 minute conversation is it's the people. It's the people you know, it's the people you engage with. So, um, and I'm, I'm really pleasant, again, not, well, I will be sarcastic in this, in the fact that I'm glad you didn't say that your internship experience was one that you would change. So, yay. <laughs> <laughs> now, I loved getting to report to you. I will say, Karina, that was probably one of my highlights. You're a great manager. We had so much fun. I learned a ton. Those so. use cases were so fun. Um, they were, they were, um, so we're going to have to do a separate podcast all about use cases, ethical use cases, because I think, um, that would be really, really fascinating to people, particularly around the research aspect. Ooh, it could be for context for the audience. Um, when I was interning, one of the main projects that I did was help identify what are the various use cases in a healthcare context that could have ethical concerns or queries like bioethics, but also add a little overlayer of tech. And so Karina and I got to get a little bit, uh, I don't want to say like anti-utopian, but there's definitely some, some dark, but very interesting use cases there. Dark, yes. Snarky, even better. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, okay, Chrissy. So last question of the podcast, we're, we're sort of nearing at the end of our time, but you've imparted a lot of unsolicited um Wisdom to our our, our uh, listeners, which I appreciate. It's not just my job. This is also the guest job. Um, but if you were to actually think about what wisdom you could impart to the sort of the next generation of STEM leaders, you know, what would you advise on, you know, if you could have changed something or if you would suggest them to do something other than some of the things that you've already suggested? Mm-hmm. I, I would always say people matter. It's the people, and I think people matter comes out in a lot of different ways. It's both, it's important to have people in your corner for when you need to take a moonshot, for when you're questioning things, when you're thinking about projects. It also, people matter in the sense of you got to have different voices in your room. You got to have different voices talking. It can't be, you know, people who look the same, talk the same, dress the same, went to the same school, talking in their own little bubble. 
if you want to be good at what you're doing, if you want to be creative and innovative, you got to have voices that are going to challenge you sometimes. Um, and so being very intentional about the people you're surrounding yourself with, I think also as part of the people matter, you got to make sure there's people who disagree with you politely, genuine, you know, you don't want to have like adversaries, et cetera. That's not what I'm promoting here necessarily, but having a discussion is always better than having an echo chamber. No raw to that. I, I totally agree with that. Um, and that transcends um, business culture to personal life. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I value, I have friends um, who have, you know, the antithesis views to some of my views, whether it be politically, religiously, um, even ethically. Um, mm -hmm. And you know what, that's exciting, because we can have conversations like that and not hate each other at the end of the day, which is exactly sort of, again, the antithesis to having that sort of courageous conversation and being friends with those those individuals. Exactly. And I think part of, so again, I'm in the tech industry and it's very global at this point. We're talking about AI. There's the EU AI that's coming out soon. Singapore's got AI verified. There's a lot of initiatives, but we're all living in a smaller and smaller world because of how connected we're becoming and because the AI system that's created in the US is impacting folks in Europe, Africa, Australia, you name it. And so there's going to be clashes. There's going to be cultural differences. There's going to be, you know, approaches, differences between us and EU, between us and Australia, et cetera. And so being intentional about selecting into some of those challenging conflict conversations, I think is going to set all this up for more success in the technical world, in the STEM world, doesn't really matter. No, the world is becoming smaller because of technology. And I am embracing that because I think um, that's going to just create some really serious interconnectedness. Um, and we can, you know, there's there's a thing called, you know, evidence-based medicine. There's an evidence-based learning. Um, and I love it. Um, and so we need to embrace it and embrace the randomness that technology enables um, mm -hmm. precisely. Um, so with that, uh, Christy, it was such a pleasure. Um, thank you for being my guest on uh, this podcast and um, to my studio or to my audience listeners, um, always remember to ask yourself, where does your journey stem from? Bye guys. <laughs>